would you recommend they work on their strong areas and make them stronger or work on the weaker areas and shore up those gaps? Focus on the strong areas and make them stronger. So start with your strengths. If you get things done, learn how to hone those. If you are very good at influencing people, use those to help you build your relationship skills or your strategic thinking, just as I did. This is Leading Up, a podcast from Udemy Business. Our guests share the advice, insights, and inspiration to help you transform as a leader. I'm Alan Todd, your host and the Vice President of Leadership Development at Udemy. Together, we can work, lead, and live differently. We all have our strengths and weaknesses. We're only human. But as leaders, how do we bolster our weak points and build off of our strengths? That's what we dive into this week with our guest, Christy Burnham. She's the Vice President of Employee Engagement and Development at UNICEF USA. She has worked for the humanitarian organization for more than two decades, and she got her start in leadership with the Girl Scouts. We cover how to capitalize on your strengths, leading in a social impact organization, and why a manager is the most important role in any organization. Christy, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks. So you started your career with the Girl Scouts where you learned a very important lesson, you said, that has served you throughout your career about being part of the solution, looking for opportunities. So tell me about that. How did you learn that? How did you figure it out? Sure. Well, you know, when when I was younger in my career, I, you know, felt like I was sometimes dissatisfied with the way things were or, you know, things could be done better, whatever the case may be. And it came to me early on in in my time with the Girl Scouts, rather than just complaining about it or saying somebody needs to change this, that it was my role and an opportunity really to be a part of the solution. And so in every instance that I have had in growing in my career step-by-step, I've used that mindset, be a part of the solution, try to figure out a way forward and look for opportunities to solve problems rather than just complain about them. And it has served me fairly well in my career. Yeah. And so just how might other people figure that out or learn that lesson yeah, I think that, uh, you know, for me, look for the opportunities. So, for example, I at the Girl Scouts was not very good at strategic thinking and strategic planning. And so I volunteered to be part of the strategic planning retreat so that I could get involved in strategy, think about how things get done, learn from others and also execute. Yeah, so that's really interesting. I've heard a number of people talk about volunteering and making yourself available And I'm not sure people know how to do that or how to step up. Well, now I know that I wouldn't even call it a weakness that I would just now I know using the Clifton Strengths um, model, which I am such a a fan of, that I actually accommodated for my weaknesses by using my strengths. So I have a lot of strengths in relationship building and in influencing. And so I use those to think strategically and to develop strategies. But look for the opportunities. If there is a social committee volunteer for that or retreat planning or any way in which you can 
get out of your day-to-day work and, and meet people across the organization or even in another department and start to socialize and build those networks. Relationship building is the way that work gets done, right? Work gets done through people. People have relationships. The stronger your relationships are, the more work we will all get done together more efficiently, faster, and we'll have more fun doing it because we have known each other and we'll like each other and we'll help each other get the work done. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So tell me, just for our listeners, what is Clifton Strengths? And you say you're a fan. And what I really want to know is, why are you a fan? What is this kind of strengths movement? What is it? What does it mean to you? Yeah. Clifton Strengths is a um, an assessment tool that is managed by Gallup. You answer 177 paired questions in less than 30 minutes, just going with your gut. And at the end, you get a report and they have categorized all all human strengths in 34 different themes. Those themes fall into four different categories, executing, influencing, relationship building, and strategic thinking. And then they rank them in top order. And your top five are like your DNA and just like who you are as a person. And sometimes what comes naturally to you can also get you in trouble and you can over-index on it. And so I became a fan in around 2017 when I first took the assessment. At first, I was a little skeptical, like, oh, are we really just focused on strengths? Are we not supposed to be accommodating for our weaknesses? But once I've learned about this tool and now since have become a certified coach, I really see it as a positive way of thinking about what am I good at? What comes naturally to me? And how do I get my work done? Whereas someone else who might have something else come natural to them gets the same outcome, but with different outputs or different ways of getting it done. And and so we at UNICEF USA have adopted this as our primary assessment tool. It is about two thirds of the organization has completed it and gone through some sort of workshop tool. And it is just I discover more things about how my strengths show up and how I can leverage them almost every day. It's just that I I am really passionate about how it helps people form relationships and get to know each other. And now they say, oh, that's why you always analyze everything because you have analytical at the top or Christy, that's why you always have to get to have that little, how was your weekend chat? Because you like to build relationships, you know? And so it really helps us understand each other better because we are very complex diverse humans who have to work together in, you know, in lots of different environments. And the more we know about each other and can appreciate each other's strengths, the stronger we'll be. Follow-up question. Let's say they, they didn't take Clifton strengths, but they're listening right now and they, they have a sense of where they're strong and where they they wish they could get better. Would you recommend they work on their strong areas and make them stronger or work on the weaker areas and shore up those gaps. Focus on the strong areas and make them stronger. Sometimes when they're so natural to us, they get in our way. So you don't want them to over-index, but you do want to use them. And here's a perfect example. If you were going to learn calligraphy, would you start with your dominant hand or your non-dominant hand? And if you start with your dominant hand, the, the way that you will perfect calligraphy is faster with less effort and also quicker and more efficient than if you started with your non-dominant hand. You can start with your non-dominant hand. And, you know, Malcolm Gladwell says in 10,000 hours, we can all perfect uh, a lot of things, but that's five years of full-time work. And wouldn't you want to apply that to your dominant hand and your strengths and learn calligraphy faster? So start with your strengths. If you get things done, learn how to hone those. If you are very good at influencing people, use those to help you build your relationship skills or your strategic thinking, just as I did. 
Yeah. And one of the things you said right at the beginning, you said uh, strategic thinking didn't show up as one of my top 10 strengths. So I volunteered for something. So would you also suggest to people, can they shore up weaknesses just by partnering with others, collaborating with others, joining a team with others, surrounding themselves by people with that? Yeah, absolutely. When we use the, the Clifton Strengths model or in any situation, we say, who can you partner with around you who might have a different perspective or bring those strengths to the project? So yes, we say, who can you partner with? But we also like think about how would you get this work done? I've been responsible for developing significant strategies here at UNICEF USA. And I realize now that what I was doing, I would bring people together. I would say, what do you want out of a professional development program? For example, what do managers want? What does the leadership want? I would gather all this information using my relationship building strengths. And then I used my communication strengths to turn it into a plan that people could read and digest and understand. And I created pillars of learning and a real easy model for people to really get behind. So anyone can use their strengths to come to the same outcome of a strategic plan. I just used my relationship building and communication strengths to get there, whereas someone else might analyze data or, you know, do some other research or might, you know, execute on a couple of things before they get to the same outcome. So absolutely focus on what you do well and partner with others to help. You work for an incredible organization that improves the lives of children all over the world through health, education, protection, and you've been at UNICEF USA for more than 20 years. Is there any kind of guiding theme or vision or anything that has emerged in how you view the world and leadership through all of that? I do know that people are people are people wherever they are. We're all complex humans and managing people in a mission driven organization has its extreme benefits and some challenges because we're all really committed to the work of UNICEF around the world. We're all very globally minded, culturally competent, and really care about the work that we do. I also think that managing people, when you become a supervisor, it is now your most important role that you have. And the, the organization has made a very big decision in making you a manager. And that is the most important decision that they can make is who to make a supervisor. So supervising people, you may have gotten here because you're good at your job, but now supervising is the most important role you have. Gallup says that 70% of an employee's experience at work is based entirely on their direct relationship with their direct supervisor. And that is so true. And all of us can think of a time where we enjoyed reporting to someone and all of us can think of a time where maybe it was a little challenging and that affected how we viewed the work and how we viewed the organization. They say people leave people, they don't leave organizations. So that's a one big lesson that I've learned is that you know, investing in people and allowing them to be their best selves is the way that we will all be successful. I've read some research. One is Jeff Peffer at Stanford. He wrote a book called Dying for a Paycheck. And his research team found that workplace-induced stress is just as deadly as secondhand smoke. And then another thing that I found was really interesting is data that was published in The Economist. A third of Americans would forego a pay raise to get their boss fired. So 
I know this is something that you have a tremendous amount of passion for. And maybe we'll start with just how important is the role of a manager? The role of a manager is the most important role that anyone can have in an organization. The amount of impact that a manager can have on their direct reports is enormous because they affect the day-to-day. The workplace is changing. No longer do people come to work for a paycheck. They come because they want to have a purpose, whether that's advancing UNICEF's mission as we do, or even how this administrative task fits into the bigger picture. They want to understand how their role matters. And therefore, they no longer want to be told what to do and how to do it. They want to be managed to outcomes, like so that they can provide the outcome and figure out how to do their own work. And that requires a coach, not a boss, not someone to direct them or boss them around. It requires someone to empower them to make their own decisions and allow them to get to the same outcome in the way that is best for them. That requires for supervisors to let go a little bit. So we have to all move from a sense of Here's how to do it and what to do to how would you approach this situation? And sure, there are certain processes that we have to follow and we can't circumvent everything. But in the places where we can get to the same outcome through different paths, that is the important role of the manager to let go and empower their staff to be their best and use their strengths every day to be successful. Yeah, I really like how you reframed. A lot of people think the role of a manager is to tell people what to do, and you reframed it as a question, which I think is really powerful. And what you just said, you talked about purpose. How important is the role of purpose in the organization as it relates to developing leaders? Sure. We define leadership in lots of different ways. Leadership starts with yourself, whether you're an individual contributor or a manager, Understanding what motivates you, what kind of growth mindset you're in and how you want to grow, that's the first part of leadership. The second part of leadership is how do I influence people through without hierarchy? How do I get things done? And and again, that goes back to relationship building and relationship management. Then, of course, we have leadership through hierarchy, right? There is some leadership that occurs when a hiring manager hires a new person and there's a power dynamic there. And then there's we think of leading the organization and what kinds of competencies and skills are needed at the top level to be strategic thinking and critical thinking and those kinds of things. And so first we want to start with what is the definition of leadership, right? And so if we all then have a role in leadership, then it becomes a conversation between a manager and, a, and an individual contributor to say, how can I assist you? What role can I play? What's getting in your way? What are you excited about, about this work? And really focusing on helping that employee become successful, which in turn will help the manager become successful. But that also means that it's the manager's responsibility to use their leadership to give fresh, consistent feedback if needed, constructive or positive, not in a public place, but find a place to give fairly immediate feedback about, you know, what's working and what's not. And that is a hard thing to do. But as managers, it is our responsibility and our actually our duty to give feedback to our employees, both positive and critical. And when you give critical feedback, ask, was it done differently or was it done wrong? And if it was just different, do you need to give that feedback? Or is it incumbent upon the manager to say, hmm, I didn't think about it that way, but I like what happened there. And I'm just going to, you know, commend that. Yeah, I like that. There's a lot of research that says that 
people get promoted to team leader or frontline leader or first-time manager and get no development. It's like three-fourths. They get promoted, but they don't get any professional development. And then there's pretty good research on those that get professional development, first-time leaders, aren't very successful. This is something, again, you've been doing it for a long time and and practicing making first-time leaders stepping up to that management role successful. Can you talk about what you do to ensure success for a first-time leader so that you beat that failure rate? Yeah, so with every new manager uh, or a person who joins the organization who may be new to the organization as a manager, I have a supervision philosophy conversation with them. And we talk about UNICEF USA's supervision philosophy. A lot of it is about the fact that their role has now become more important. The, the supervisory role is more important than all of the work that they did before and has a more, a bigger factor in their employees experience than what they might have thought. We also talk about the fact that when you are elevated and then you, you may be supervising people who used to be your peers, that your relationship has changed forever. And you can be friendly with them, but you can't be friends with them in the same way that you used to be. It is important that you are successful and your employees is, is successful and you can have that conversation in a really friendly way. And in that supervision philosophy, we talk about how do you want to show up as a manager? How do you want to interact? How do you manage stress? Now you've got people watching you and how you manage stress and how you show up into meetings is modeling what you want from your team members. And so we call it like being an intentional supervisor, showing up in the way that you would want to be shown up for and explaining yourself. The best tool to successful working relationships is communication. And, you know, some people are afraid of it. I've been afraid of it at times, but you have to be brave. We have a set of competencies here at UNICEF USA that are categorized in three big categories, deep human connection, courageous leadership, and collective learning and growth. And behind each of those, we have a set of competencies. Courageous leadership, those words are there for a reason. Sometimes it takes being brave to build that deep human connection. But the more that you lean into those things and help you know, foster those relationships, Ultimately, you'll be happier, result in a better working relationship, and get more work done. So that's interesting. Courage is a, is a big thing that I think about going all the way back to Cicero, right, and the cardinal virtues and, and courage. So courageous leadership. I'm wondering, are there people that struggle with that? Are there new managers that can't do it? Are there people just say, you know, I can't do it. I guess I, I'm not cut out for this. I don't want to be a manager. Does anybody ever do that? Or, or do they find the courage? Do they develop it? Can you cultivate this? Our competencies are aspirational. And so not everyone has all the courageous leadership that they need or the deep human connection that they need. And so through coaching sessions, through our on-demand coaching platform, through peer learning circles, we help each other in the situations where we might need to be a little bit more courageous. And what does that look like? We practice. We use feedback models. We have different models that we use the situation behavior impact model, which is like in this scenario where you said this, the impact on me was this. And again, feedback in a private conversation. We also use liked best and next time. And we try to give people, I will sit and practice with someone how to, how to be courageous and how to even start. Sometimes you might start by saying, 
I need to have a difficult conversation. I'm not feeling good about it, but I need to have this with you. And, you know, I want to level set with you. And, you know, that is courage in itself, admitting vulnerability, which is something that many of us are afraid to do, but ultimately will result in you being seen as a real person. Yeah. And how about the importance of creating a safe environment for people to feel courageous enough to dare? Whenever I enter a conversation with another person, I say, we're having a confidential conversation until and unless you give me permission to take some information elsewhere. And I have kept my word on that. And I think that building trust and building safe places is the way to help people be more courageous. So I've had difficult conversations with my favorite employees, but I've had them because we have a a confidential trusting environment. And that happens over time. How do you build trust? Trust means a lot of things to a lot of different people. Trust can mean keep confidence. Trust can mean empowerment. I trust you to do your work. Trust can mean I have faith in you, or it can mean something else. So first, start by having a conversation about what is trust to you and what is trust to me. And then the way to build trust is to keep your word, mean what you say, say what you mean. So, you know, we're just people being people at work, trying to be people. Let's go a little deeper on trust. So you described a bunch of things that a manager can do to build trust. What is it on the other side? What would you recommend somebody who's not a manager? They're earlier in their career and they're like, well, how do I build trust? And with whom do I build trust? And how do I go about it? How do you think about that? And what do you advise? Well, I think that the manager-employee relationship is a two-way street. So we don't offer education learning sessions just to managers. We offer them to everyone because it is a, a dual relationship. So in the same way that I would advise managers to keep their word, talk about the definition of trust, talk about what they need to build trust, so can early career employees. I would like you to trust me, supervisor, and here's how I want to show you that I am trustworthy. I will meet my deadlines. I will do what I say I'm going to do. I will give you feedback when you ask. And, you know, I know that that's easier said than done. Some managers don't want to hear that right away. But over time, if you have a strong manager who you want to stay with, they should be asking you for feedback. They should be asking you, what do you need to build trust? And they should be participating in the relationship as much as you are. Yeah, I really like how you describe it as a two-way street. I think that's that's great advice for our listeners. For If you're not a manager, it's on you to take that step. And you can't assume that everybody has a good manager, right? I'm sure that if the statistics hold, half the people listening right now perhaps have a bad manager. And so I like the idea on a two-way street, it's kind of empowering. So if you're an individual contributor, go talk to your manager and sort of talk about exactly what trust means to you and how what you intend to do to keep your half of the bargain and maybe ask them questions. Don't you think you could take control of that conversation if let's just assume you have a bad boss and you're an individual contributor? Wouldn't you still go do that same thing, Christy? Absolutely. And I have had managers that weren't real attentive to me or, you know, just kind of directed. And I have said to them, How can I build trust with you? What do you need from me so that I can make sure that I'm giving you what you're looking for, right? And so you might not say, how can I build trust with you? But you can ask questions that say, how can I meet your expectations? How can I 
move forward and let you know that I've got this? How often would you like to be checked in with? You know, how do you want to be communicated with? All of these different ways of asking and then sticking to those guidelines. If someone says, oh, I never see my boss, they're never around, then you can say, hey, could I just have like a standing 15 minute a week meeting where you have open office hours and I can just come by and ask them six questions? I would strongly recommend that they have weekly meetings, but look for the creative solutions to get what you need so you can give them what they need. All right, Christy, this is great. So we have a wrap-up question that we ask all of our guests. What are you curious about and learning now? And by the way, it can be personal, professional, fun, hobby. What are you curious about and learning now? I am really enjoying learning how people bring their best selves to work. I love how the workplace is evolving and we are promoting diversity, racial equity, inclusion, belonging, being your authentic self at work, showing up as who you are. And I'm learning as much as I can about how to foster that with my organization, with my team, with myself. And the time now is we are in a new era of working collaboratively as who we are as people. And I just love that so much. I'm, I'm eating up everything that I can read about that or learn or, or listen to. Yeah, I can tell you, Christy, your passion for strengths just gushes through in everything you say. I, I probably am a little bit of a commercial, but I'm happy that that comes through because I just, I really believe in it. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. That was Christy Burnham, Vice President, Employee Engagement and Development at UNICEF USA. Thank you so much for listening to Leading Up, a podcast from Udemy Business. We'll be back next Wednesday with another episode to help you level up your leadership skills. The Leading Up podcast is produced by Udemy in partnership with Pod People. Special thanks to our production team, Alex Vickmanis, Amy Machado, Brian Rivers, Danielle Roth, and Carter Wogan. Our original theme is by Soundboard.